That's pathetic. Good morning. That's a little bit better. How many people are tired? Yeah. Sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is take a nap. Don't forget that. If you want to do it right now, I had uh, one guy this morning, um, uh, the people at uh, Sacred Ground, she said, ask so-and-so about their coffee choice because um, he walked up and said, uh, they asked him, said decaf or regular, and his response was, well, tell me who's preaching. (laughs) Oh, I didn't say, oh, I thought it was funny. So, Jesus. One of the things I'm learning over the last two weeks of preparing messages is I love talking about Jesus. Nothing fires me up like talking about Jesus. Now, it's not because I have the title of pastor. I hope it's because I have a title as a child of God. Today, we're going to start looking at this life of Christ. Last week, we talked about Emmanuel. Anybody cry out Emmanuel this week? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. You can do that in the coming week too if you want, okay? Just because I did the sermon last week, you can cry Emmanuel this week. We don't know much about Jesus after that age of where he went to the temple and then uh, he was with his parents and his parents took off and left him at the temple and you know, we don't know a whole lot after that until his ministry officially began, so they say. There's a little evidence here and there. One of those evidences is in Luke 2.52, which is on the screen. And this is kind of one of those general, big, grand statements. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. You want to pray for a prayer for your young son? Pray that prayer, Okay. But we don't know much else. We don't know much else. And actually, as we talked about last week, is that the event of the birth was not one of those things where, you know, they they put out flyers and they had all kinds of television commercials and the paparazzi showed up and this was an event. It wasn't that. In fact, it happened. Most people didn't know it happened. Now, we look at it at this point and they're like, oh man, that must have been big. It must have been huge. Can you imagine all the people around? There weren't a lot around. But word was rumbling through. But it had been another period of silence. Jesus officially entered ministry, they say. Anybody have an idea what the age was? Around 30. You've heard that likely. But being a boy in the temple to 30, I mean, you're talking some time. And so imagine those people who were so excited and they were crying out Emmanuel. They've been crying it out for a while. What is God doing? Well, what we see today, and we're going to look at a few uh, scenes from the life of Jesus. And I don't say scenes because it's fictitious. It's as real as it gets. In fact, it's so real, it'll impact everything for the rest of Jesus' life and yours. There's this guy, he, he, he's a dude, is really what he is. He's wearing weird clothes, he's walking around in sandals in the wilderness, and he's eating locust and honey. You know, it's kind of the bear, was it Bear Gorillas kind of of that day, maybe? Okay, I don't know. 
But anyways, this wasn't a guy that was necessarily popular or likable. But he's talking about this guy named Jesus. This would be one of those guys, not a star like Bear Grylls, but this would be one of those guys that we probably wouldn't want to hang out with. He maybe hadn't shaved in a while. Maybe he smells a bit. He's been hanging out in the wilderness for all indications. He's eating locusts. I mean, he maybe had a locust wing stuck in his tooth. I mean, (laughs) hey, friend. No, probably not. And so he's talking about Jesus. Now, some of them remembered that Oh, that's the Messiah. He was born, Emmanuel. Most of them didn't. And so there's a scene that happens. And you're thinking, okay, now now this is when the lights come on, the music sounds, the heavens open up, which they do, but not like we think. It's a scene that we find in the beginning of Mark. But what we're going to do today is... I'm going to take us through, we're going to walk through this together, a few scenes of Jesus' early ministry. And what I'm going to propose is that these things pose questions in our minds. These things, even that we know Jesus loved questions. That's how he responded to most people. What do you think about this, Jesus? Well, I don't know. What do you think? These are not questions that Jesus has asked directly, but they are questions that Jesus is asking in these events, these scenes. Events sounds way too big. And so I want to pose a couple questions, and they're questions you've got to answer. You're like, oh, I didn't practice. I didn't test up for or study for the quiz. Well, some of you may be answering those. Some of you may not. The reality is, is we're all trying to. We're all trying to. Everybody in this community is trying to. Everybody in this world is trying to answer these questions. So what are they? Let's go to Mark 1. Mark 1, in verse 9 through 11, there's the, 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 this locust guy, John the Baptist, and he sees Jesus coming. And so Jesus shows up, and then John realizes that he has to baptize this guy. No pressure. Verse 9, the baptism is over. He's dunked Jesus. And verse 9, at that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my Son with whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Again, this wasn't a big deal. There weren't a lot of people around. But it was the inaugural event of Jesus' ministry here on this earth. Now, a couple of things are going on here. There's a threefold revelation. Now, one revelation for me is typically good enough. This is a threefold. And the threefolds are this. The first one is, heaven is torn open. Torn open. This word used here is used one other time in the Gospel of Mark. And it's at the end of Jesus' ministry, so to speak, on earth. And it's the same word that talks about tearing open from top to bottom. Ripping. Anybody know where that's at? What's the scene? Yeah, the crucifixion. So the beginning and the end, Mark is giving an account of this ripping open. Now that ripping open 
is not just neat from an effect sort of standpoint. It demonstrates that God has come. God has come. No paparazzi, no big arena. No. A furry man with locust and Jesus and a few other people. Heaven was ripped open was the first revelation. It's divine. Nobody rips heaven open except God. Then there's the second one. The second revelation has to do with the Holy Spirit descending down. Remember all that silent period? Well, God was speaking through the prophet John the Baptist again, but this was another level. This was the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God descending down onto earth to Jesus. That's a big deal. And then the third one, it's the part we love, isn't it? The deep voice, God. I wish I had a deeper voice like James Earl Jones, but I don't. What did he say? What did he say to Jesus? With you, I am well pleased. You are my son, and I am well pleased. Now, the people around there, they're probably thinking, wow, that's kind of cool. We didn't have to buy a ticket for this. This is neat. It marked everything. It marks everything about who Jesus is. And it poses a question. It poses a question to us. Sorry for the people over here. Let me turn this around. It poses the question, who? God wanted us to know, the people of that day, the people now, the people forever, to know who this man was. Well, he's Jesus the Messiah. He's Emmanuel. God said, no, let me, let me set you straight on this. This is the Son of God. And by these threefold, this threefold revelation, I have revealed to you and I have commissioned my son. I have sent him into your world, which is God's world, but it's the world we occupy as humans. And I've sent you, he said, and I want you to know, I sent Jesus and Jesus has my stamp of approval. You're thinking, well, what's the big deal? Oh, it's a really big deal. Because it poses a question for us. Jesus knew exactly who he was and what he was to do. And you may be saying, well, yeah, he's God, come on. Jesus had to do something right here. Jesus had to submit. Well, he's he's Jesus. Wasn't he supposed to do that? Well, he was, but he still had a choice. He was human. And he submitted. He sacrificed and said, God, whatever you want. Good mantra. And with that, God said, here's your identity. Here's your purpose. Here's your meaning. Here's your identity. You're not going to flaunt it around, but you're going to use it to do what I created you to do. He's done the same for you. So the question for you, for me, is who am I? Oh, Dan's getting philosophical on this. This is not a philosophical question. This is a question about being. It's a question that Jesus says you have to answer. Who am I? Asking yourself, who am I? Who are you? 
We know who Jesus is. Now, we, we may not want to pay attention to it, and people will keep doing that, and that's their choice. But it begs the question for each of us to ask of ourselves, who am I? Adam, who are you? Wesley, who are you? Ginger, who are you? It's identity. What's your identity? Jesus' identity started with God. It's a pretty good clue, I think, for us. It started with God. This baptism challenged everybody's understanding about who they were. And although he didn't ask it, he was asking it. Who are you? Everybody is asking this question. Drug addicts ask this question. Dads ask this question. Teenage kids ask this question. Now, I'd love to tell you it gets easier to answer, but it doesn't unless you look to Jesus. Jesus says, if you look to me, I will answer this question for you. And you may not even be a pastor. I'm going to answer this question by offering you worth. In fact, God's already already given you worth. He created you. But if we go anywhere else to ask this question, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. You look at any addiction and you go into the psyche, you're going to find people that don't have a clue who, knew, who they are until they finally settled that they're an addict. And that's just what everybody expects of them, so that's what they're going to be. And the list goes on. But the servant of God the Father gave us our identity and says, I'm going to give you worth. In fact, you're going to have worth. Trust me. Trust me. And I'll help you answer this question. And all the other things like dad. I mean, guys, what do we do? What do we do when somebody comes up to us and says, hey, nice to meet you. Tell me about yourself. What is the first thing almost always that we guys say? We tell them what our job is. See, that's where we guys like to find worth, purpose, meaning. Wives, those of you mothers, your answer is probably a little better than, our, than us guys, but you often say, well, I'm a mom or I'm a wife, just so cool. Teenagers, those of you in high school, you know the question. It's asked all the time by adults. It's asked all the time by everybody in your class. What do you do? Well, I play basketball. Or I play soccer. I'm in the band. I'm in drama. I'm an artist. That's a horrible question. Because what happens when all that's gone? What happens when the teenager breaks his ankle and will never play football again? We as a society have said, well, not sure who you are now. No. He is... He is a creation of the Almighty King. But you know, you know people like this. You work with people like this. There are people in lockers next to you at school. They're trying to figure it out. And so are you. It's got to start with Jesus. Because He gives us our worth. 
And you know what? People need you. Every single one of you. People need you to be who God created you to be. There are people right now around you, some that you know really well and some you've never met. And you know what? They need you to be who God created you to be. They don't need you to be a phony. They don't need you to be this perfect little Christian. They need you to be who God created you to be. Can anybody say amen? Thank you. Oh, he's mad. We can't talk. No. It's so true, isn't it? It's so true. People need us to be who God created us to be. The world does not need one more imposter. The world does not need one more poser or one more fake. And unfortunately, we Christians, we kind of model that. Ouch. I do it. You shouldn't do it. Who am I? Who are you? All right. Audience participation. I need a volunteer who will come up to the platform and nobody wants to do this because they're scared. But somebody come and grab this from me, would you? Somebody? Logan, you rock. All right, Logan, uh, over there on the wall next to the column on this side, just, just hang that up on the wall for me. Okay, it's got sticky on the back. All right, so that's the first question. Who are you? Who am I? Next question, let's go to Matthew 4. By the way, if you have a lunch appointment, you're probably going to be late, okay? But if you need to go, go. Matthew 4, verse 18. Matthew 4. Verse 18, this is such a cool scene. Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. You've heard the story. You've probably heard a gazillion sermons preached on Come Follow Me. It's a good message. It really is. And I'm not denying that message. But I think something happens here. I think there's a question that's coming through this scene. Jesus walks up to these guys. And they're fishing. Does anybody know why they're fishing? They're fishermen. Oh, you're sharp. It's, it's cool, though, because I was thinking somebody was going to yell, Jesus, because that's always the answer, you know? So, so I'm glad you answered fishermen, because that was right. They were fishermen. That's what fishermen do. They fish. That was a high importance to them. It was a priority. It was their job. They were providing for their families. All that good stuff. And Jesus walks up and says, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. What Jesus said is, I'm going to change what's most important to you. Right now, the most important thing to you is catching fish so you can make money, provide for your family, and live. It's not a bad thing. But Jesus says, I'm going to give you a better thing. And so the question is why? Now go with me on this, okay? Why do you do what you do? And don't give me the answer because I have to, okay? We make choices, don't we? Why are you here? And I'm not just talking right here. I'm talking here. Why are you here? Why are you going to be where you're at tomorrow morning? Why? 
It's a question. Jesus was challenging that question with these fishermen. Guys, why are you doing this? Come follow me. Somewhere along the way, they had to decide. In fact, they did it pretty quick. With, with immediate, immediacy, immediacy and urgency, they decided to follow Jesus. They dropped their nets, their livelihood, their lives. Because somewhere deep down, deep inside, yeah, they'd heard about this Messiah guy. They thought this was him. They weren't completely sure. But somewhere deep down, the why had not been answered. The why they had answered with wasn't significant enough. And Jesus said, I can give you a better why. I can give you a better why in anything you do. Now, some would take this and some would say, oh, I've got to quit my job and I've got to go do this and I've got to go do this and do this and do this. If God's calling you to do it, you've heard me say it before, you better go. But I don't believe that's what God's calling us all to do. God wants to take those of you that work in manufacturing and He wants to, to answer the why for you as you're standing in line. The teacher he wants to take your role with children, not just teaching them. He wants to take it to another level. Those of you who are managers and leaders, he wants to make you more than just a boss. He wants to give you the most important why behind being a boss. Our priorities are messed up as a society. And as much as I'd love to stand here and say, well, we church people, we got it. We are busier than we've ever been. We're tired, aren't we? Are we better off, though? You see, this why is huge because it helps us determine what's important to us. Jesus changed the scene by saying, you know what, what you all think is important is not important. All these laws you guys laid out, that's not important. Do you need to be obedient to God? Absolutely. But the most important thing is for you to have purpose and meaning that's worth something. Heard something this week at a conference I was at, and they shared about this millennial generation. That's basically anybody born after 1984. I missed it just by that. Um, <laughs> Some of you are still awake. You had the, you had the regular coffee. That's good. Um, this generation, first generation ever, that isn't content with just going and doing the job to earn money and provide for their family and live a nice little so-called American dreamy life. They're not content with it. That's good. Now, you may want to call them a bunch of snotty brats that are pampered to and all of that, but the reality is they're on to something. And they're on to something that really is not all that new. But the day and age of somebody working 60 years just to, to do whatever job and get through it and then come out of it and say, well, now I'm going to live life. Whoa. Everything we do can have meaning and purpose that impacts the kingdom if we put Jesus first. Jesus is the head of many classrooms of teachers in this church and teachers in other churches too where that's their professional education or their professional career. 
You know when you walk in that classroom that Jesus is the head of that classroom. You walk into a business leader in his office, you will find out real quickly if Jesus is the head of not only his office, but his staff and his entire business. Because he knows the why. And the why is purpose and meaning from Jesus Christ. Come follow me. Yeah, you're going to have to give stuff up. You're not going to have to give everything up. But if it doesn't align with Jesus as the major priority, the primary priority. See, purpose is not just to be good church-going people the rest of our lives. Those of you who are retired, I said this to many of the senior adults in the first service, is that I hope that your purpose is clearer than ever. And if it's not, then keep asking this question. Keep asking this question. I've heard senior adults say this. Some say, I don't know why I'm still here. I've lived a good full life. I love Jesus. I'm ready to go meet him. I don't know why I'm still here. Oh, there's a reason. We've got to figure it out. Why am I here? Every moment, every day, we should be asking the question, why am I here? Yeah, I have this meeting planned out, and I'm leading this meeting, but why am I here? Why am I really doing this? It's all got to come back to Jesus. And it started with this, hey, come follow me. They didn't have a clue what they were getting into. Most of us don't either. Just because we know the end of the story, which really is not the end of the story, we don't have it all figured out. And you might say, well, I decided that 10 years ago, Dan. I have a life verse, and I know why I'm here. Do you know what tomorrow holds? Probably not. Have you ever faced a situation that you never thought you would face when you were younger? Probably so. In that moment, you have to ask, why am I here? It'll blow up your perspective on what's happening. So with that in mind, let's go to the next question. All right, this side's ahead, one to zero. So uh, I need somebody else to grab, uh, come up and grab this for me. Okay, hopefully when I turn around, you'll be here and ready. Oh, come on. Oh, Kim, you rock. Kim, if, uh, where'd the other one go? Keep it on the other side. Okay. Uh, can you bring it on this side? Okay, because I really need to see it. So, and then put this one up the stairs a little bit. Sorry, Logan. Logan, you, you can go move it. Okay, I'll let you do it. Okay. All right. So, next question. Go to Mark two. Mark two. So, so we we we've got who, we've got why. Next question. Mark two fifteen. This one's on the screen. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now get this. This is a normal home. Levi, the tax collector, he's a crook. Most homes in that day had a big open window in the front of it, and, and it actually wasn't a window. It was just an opening, okay, and um, that let the air through in a very hot climate. And so one day, the Pharisees are strolling outside Levi's house, and they look in. Well, guess who's there? It's Jesus. And not only is Jesus there, he's reclining with them at the table, which means association. Because we don't invite people to our tables that we don't want to associate with. 
although maybe we should. They were livid. These are the people that won't come to church. These are the people that I've tried to get to my church, and they won't come. You're going to eat with them? You're eating with them. They're sinners. Jesus says, yep, they are. And so he reclines with them and eats with them. And he speaks volumes when he does this. Because when he does this, what he's saying is that I need to kind of reset the default for what it means to follow God. And it's not by your set of rules. You see, the question here is, what? The question is, what do you need? What do you need? What do you think the Pharisees thought they needed? Probably not much. They had all the laws. And they even took some of those laws that just weren't quite fitting to things and expanded them to better suit their needs. But they had all the laws. They didn't need anything else. I mean, they weren't sinners after all. What did the people around Matthew's table need? They needed the same thing that the Pharisees needed. And it wasn't a law. It was grace. And what Jesus was saying to them is, you know what? I've got to give you guys an object lesson because you're not getting it. Grace. And I'm giving them grace. You want to follow God? Then you give grace. What do you need? Grace. You answer that question, boy, it brings everything else in, doesn't it? Matthew did not need more money. He had taken plenty of money from everybody else. He didn't need any more. But something in his gut, when Jesus said, follow me, I'm going to your house, and by the way, grab your buds, because we're going to party. I don't know what Matthew thought at that point. Was he scared? Say, well, I don't know, I've got this guy coming to my house, I'm not really sure whether I want to bring my friends or not. Maybe he wanted to invite the Pharisees, I don't know. But he did it. Because something deep down in his gut said, I don't have everything I need. I'm a sinner. Now, he wouldn't probably admitted he was a sinner yet. But what happened after he ate with Jesus? Well, he became a disciple of Jesus, and he wrote the gospel of Matthew. Well, that, that was all going to happen anyways. <laughs> Just because God knows it's going to happen doesn't mean that we know it's going to happen. So what do you need is the question you have to ask yourself. What do you need to sustain you? I know, I, I know grace is an answer you guys know, but do you know what grace is? It means no matter what you've done, no matter how horrible you are, or everybody thinks you are, or you think you are, you have worth and value. You are loved. That's what Jesus communicated at that table. He says, Matthew, I love you, man. I love you. You know why I love you? Because God loves you. Because you're really not very easy to love. 
Many people say, love others as you would have them love you. I, I think we need to think about that. There's some good principles there. Love others as Jesus loved us. There's a difference. Because I don't love others well. Probably more time than not. You ever been in a crowd? And you're in that crowd. And people are walking by. And you find yourself making judgments right and left. Right and left. I hope that bothers you. Because at some point those come out. And at some point we say, I would never invite that person to my table. Never. I wonder if sometimes we need to invite more people to our tables first instead of inviting them to church first. Church is important. We need each other. But maybe invite them to your table and communicate one thing to them. One thing. Not wipe your shoes before you come in. My carpet's new. Invite, communicate one thing. Grace. For all the reasons that they don't deserve, grace. For all the things that disgust you about them, grace. For their filthy mouth, grace. Do you remember when you first understood grace? I'm still working on it. <laughs> Seriously. I know the theological concept, but it is having a hard time getting through this skull and this heart. But I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep trying to understand it by practicing it. That's what we got to do. Practice it. And you say, I don't know how to practice it. Love people. Love them. Love them. Love them. Because they don't know who they are. Just like you often don't know who you are. They don't know why they're here. Much like you don't know why you're here. I don't know why I'm here. Just love them. Love them in all the goofiest, ridiculous, creative ways that you can. Love them. Not just in your spaces. Love them where they are. That's what everybody needs. Because then they can start understanding the question. You love somebody that never has been loved before. They're going to resist you. They're going to reject you. They're going to fight you. But you keep loving them. Because at some point, they're going to recognize all the other things that they have tried to fill and answer this question don't work. They need love. Love that comes from Jesus Christ. Church, that is our mission. It is our mission to love. Whenever it hurts and whenever it doesn't hurt, whenever it's easy, when it's hard, when you got to go to their, their house and people see you. I'm not saying participate in all that they participate in, but love them. Love them, love them, and extend grace to them. I need another volunteer, please. If I can get this off. Another volunteer? Joy, if uh, up the stairs a little, about halfway. Thank you. Last story. Go to John 3 with me, please. John 3. What color am I on, by the way? I guess I've got blue. John 3. Old Nick. 
Nicodemus, Pharisee, he was probably standing outside the window looking in saying, oh, I can't believe it, you're eating with sinners. Nick says, well, I got to find out what this guy's about. And so he goes to meet Jesus, likely middle of the night. And what we begin to read, I'm looking at my Bible and I'm like, that doesn't look right. That's because I'm in the wrong spot. Okay, Jesus, uh, John 3. It's not all on the screen, but let me start here. Now with the Pharisee, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus that night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. If God were not with him. See, Nick already believes a bit. But he's coming to test it out a little bit. Let's give the guy courage. Let's give him credit for having the courage. Let's stop being critical about people that are curious and asking questions and doubting. At least they're searching. Because we live in a world where most these questions, they don't care about them. And it's not just the thugs that don't care about them, okay? It's some of our neighbors. In fact, I wonder times, do we care about these questions? Important questions. And so they have this encounter, and Jesus drops this bomb on him and says, you must be born again. I want you to think about the first time you heard that phrase. Now, I know now, it is a phrase we use. It is a phrase that is a part of our language, born again. But I remember, not specifically the time and day, but I remember the period when I heard about being born again. That freaked me out, much like it freaked Nicodemus out. Oh, I can't believe you don't understand what it means to be born again. I didn't understand it. Still working on it. Nicodemus had knowledge, gifts, understanding, position, and integrity. And what Jesus says, well, that stuff's great, bud, but that's not getting you to heaven. What? All those laws I've been keeping? That's not going to work? Nope. What do I need to do? You need to be born again. Jesus poses this question. Where? Jesus introduces the concept of also the kingdom which was not a new concept. Now, when I say kingdom, I'm not just talking about heaven. When that whole tearing of the curtain and the dove and the voice of God, that all happened, you know what that did? Jewish people saw that as the introduction of the eschatological, you say that, eschatological kingdom on earth. The kingdom began at that point in many ways. Well, Jesus hadn't been crucified yet and died yet. But Jesus came, God came, and so his kingdom had begun. And so I want you to think about this question. Not, are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? Okay? That's a really important question. You best be asking it. But it's bigger than that. It's deeper than that. Because if all we do is say, well, I'm going to heaven, that means we're done. We've accepted Jesus. We're going to heaven. That means we're done. We're not done. God's kingdom has come to this earth. The kingdom is now, not just in the future. And so how do we build the kingdom? We answer the question is, where am I headed? Where am I headed? What's your direction? What is your direction? Well, I'm going to work up the corporate ladder and do this. No, where are you really headed? 
Jesus says, I want you to be a part of the kingdom, Nick. I want you to be a part of the kingdom. And I want you to tell everybody else that they can be a part of the kingdom. Because there are as many barriers as everybody thinks there is. There's really not. The only barrier is you. Where are you headed when you go to work tomorrow morning? Not talking about an address. Where are you headed when you tuck that child in tonight? Where are you headed when you embrace your wife? Where are you headed when you work with your employees? Where are you headed when you get in conflict and you don't know what to do? Jesus offers hope. Hope should change everything. And if you're headed for the kingdom and experiencing a part of the kingdom, your hope is established. And so, no more insecurities, no more fear, no more of that junk that, that takes you off direction. I was traveling to Atlanta this week. I went to a conference called Catalyst, of about 4,000 uh, uh, pastors and church leaders, and um, it was fun. And Really, it was fun. I'm not being facetious. It was really fun. I'm on the road Tuesday, drove straight down, uh, four or five hours into the drive, and I'm around Sweetwater, Tennessee, Divided highway, interstate highway, northbound lanes were over here, big median right here, full trees and pretty stuff, and, um, and then I'm in the southbound lane. And there were about cars about a half mile before, in front of me, about a quarter mile behind me, and I just passed some cars, and, um, and so I'm in the lane driving away. And I see this thing up in the road, and I'm like, what's that? Because I'm an aware driver. And so, not really, but I was at, at that moment I was. And so I see this thing, and it's not moving, it's there. And so I'm getting closer and closer. I kind of let up on the gas a little bit and preparing to go to the brake. And as I get closer, this is what I see, that second picture. (laughs) That's him. I took a picture while I was driving. No, I'm just teasing. (laughs) This is one of those moments I wish I had those glasses where I could just go and have a picture. But um, if there is such a thing, I don't know. This squirrel was in the southbound left lane. And he's sitting there like this. And I'm thinking, what in the world are you doing? This is not your place. And I like animals a little bit. I didn't want to run for him. And of course, the whole time I'm thinking, oh, he, he's, he's dead. He's going to get creamed. And I'm going to be the one to do it. He didn't move. I went by him, some speed limit, and he didn't move. He just looked like that. I, I'm telling you, if I could have taken a picture, it had to look something like that. And so... I often wonder, is that the way we live our lives? Seriously. I can't believe I'm here. I don't know what to do. And you freeze. Or you run over into the lane. (laughs) I was trying to watch in my rearview mirror because I wanted to see if he met his maker or not. But um, I I was too far ahead and I couldn't tell. How often do we just live from moment to moment and not think about where we're headed? We just panic about getting out of what we're in right now. That's not the way Jesus wants us to live our life. And because of that, Jesus offers hope. He says every every tumultuous time, remember the hope that, that permeates and runs through that. You know where you're headed. But keep asking that question. Keep asking the question of who, why, where, and what. 
Because sometimes, like earlier in my trip that night, I'm on 275 South, and I'm just zoned. My eyes were open. I was driving, but I was tired, and I was just zoned out. And I'm on 275 South around the, the bypass in Cincinnati. I was only like an hour or so into the drive. And I'm looking around, and I'm like, this doesn't look familiar. So 15 miles later, because, you know, it's always you figure it out, and then there's no exit. You know how that works? So I had to go another five miles, 20 miles. I realized that I was on I-74 headed to Indianapolis. <laughs> now, guys, let me, let me talk to you a minute. You know what I was doing. Oh, every, every, each click of the, of, the, of the odometer, I'm like, I'm going to turn it around in the median. I don't care. No, I went to the next exit. But how often do we just, we get overwhelmed with life because we're so busy, and before we know it, we're 20 miles out of the way where we should be going. Stop. Just stop. Stop and think about where you headed. Not because you made a decision 20 years ago to follow Jesus, because we can get off track. Last volunteer. Hopefully you know where this one's going to go because you're astute like that. And hopefully you're also proactive and you're right here behind me as I tear this off and you're ready and poised. Please don't disappoint me. Yes, Rachel. By the way, four to zero. Okay. All right. Uh, over there on the bottom. Yeah. Who'd you have? I'm sorry, Kim. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Three to one. Okay. You're still lost. Okay. No. See, if I just said at the very beginning, this is a competition, I know what would have happened. There have been 40 of you up here the first time I said something. All of these questions point to one big question. Go with me a little farther in John. John 3. John 3, 16. You know what? Let's read it together. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his own one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, the mistake that most people make is they read this verse without verse 17. Don't do that. I'm telling you, do not do that. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, this is most people's picture of Jesus. Church, change it. Not just by reading that verse, but by living that verse. I'm not here to condemn you. I don't like what you're doing, but I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to love you. Because Jesus loved me. This begs all points to this question. Now, I know the tendency. Well, Pastor Dan, I, I believed when I was 13 years ago, 13 years old. I've been following Christ for lots and lots of years. Good. I've been following Christ over 20 years. And Jesus still throws this question at me every day. I look out and I see faces of some of you that I know 
have been asked this question in some really, really hard ways. People who have lost their home to a fire have had to answer this question. Those of you that lost spouses way too early. Those of you that had careers that were ripped out from under you and you've had to ask this question. Don't make it, do you believe? Make it, will you believe? Sometimes we think, and this is not about eternal security or all of that, okay? Let go of that. What I'm talking about is the fact that so often we just bank on our belief from 30 years ago. Your belief, your faith has to be stronger. That's what Jesus was doing. Every one of these questions he's saying, I want to know if you really believe. I want to know your heart. I want to know if you're willing to follow, even when it doesn't make sense, because this is a new covenant. No more sacrifice. The Lamb of God has sacrificed. Will you believe when you lose your job? Will you believe when you're stricken with a sickness? Will you believe when that child you have prayed over is not following Jesus? Will you believe? Will you believe? That is the question for the church. And let me tell you, church, if we answer this with a resounding yes, not once, but every single circumstance and situation, the church will incredibly impact this world through Jesus. They don't want to see and meet people who answered even 10 years ago that they believe in Jesus or that I grew up in church as a teenager. Teenagers, answer this question. Not for 30 years from now. Right now, will you believe? Right now, are you going to believe? Those of you about to get married, right now, will you believe? We have to. We have to answer this question. And the reason that we can't answer it is because we're stuck here. Go back to that first picture real quick. First picture that, that I said. Anybody know who that is? Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. No, that's, you're wrong. That's me. Fifteen years ago, I was in, Susan and I were in New York City, we were in Soho area, and we went um, a, a, as a trip, and we're in Old Navy in Soho, and my wife was somewhere else, and I'm standing outside like a dressing area, and this giddy little girl, she's probably in her 20s, she walks up to me, and she's like this, and she says, are you Ben Affleck? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I wanted to do, and I didn't want to be mean, and I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> Now, I see the resemblance. On days I don't shave, that looks just like me. <laughs> Not really. The point is, is, is that mistaken identity is often the issue. Often the issue. Jesus gives you worth. That's your identity. Everything else is extra. Everything else can be wonderful and beautiful. But the reason some cannot answer, answer will you believe, is because they don't know who they are. Some cannot answer, will you believe, or they need to answer with the why. People that have worked their whole lives in a career, and then it's ripped out from under them, and they say, well, I don't know why I'm here now. Will you believe? Some who think they know what they need, grace. Some of you cannot accept the concept of grace. Let me, I'm just going to say it. And you're living your lives because you can't Believe that what you won't forgive yourself for, Jesus has. I know it's not easy. 
what you believe. And where are you headed? This isn't fire insurance. But many people will say, nowhere. Not even really anywhere I want to head. Will you believe that Jesus can give you direction? We should never, ever, 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 ever stop answering this question. I don't care how many Sunday schools, how many Bible studies, how many conferences you've been to, you cannot stop answering this question. Because you're going to face something tomorrow that you may not know. Sometimes the answer is going to be, yeah, got it. I've got Jesus through this. Sometimes the answer is going to be, I don't know. Everything I've known and believe has been ripped out from under me. I don't know. Come follow. Here's the beauty of all these. Jesus loved and helped these questions, each and every one of them, through relationship. Here's the really cool thing. Every one of you, me included, have been designed to do relationship. This is not something you've got to go read the manual and figure it out in some way because you have no idea how it goes together. Be who God created you to be and relate to people. You're going to mess it up. It's okay. Go back. Do it again. But don't be the squirrel in the road paralyzed because you think you can't do relationship. Introverts, you can do relationship. You just do it different than we extroverts. And a lot of times, much more appropriately. (laughs) Because you're you tend to be a lot more gentle. So church, who are we as the body of Christ? Why are we here? Church, what do we need? And where are we headed? We start answering those questions. We continue answering those questions. We'll answer this question. And no program or ministry or Razbaz building will do it any better than what you are equipped to do. In fact, all that could be taken away tomorrow and we'd be okay if we're willing to answer these questions. Father, I want to do something for a minute. If you would, look, look up real quick. Look at these four questions. I want you to think for a minute, which one's your struggle? Which is your biggest struggle right now? I don't know who I am, or I thought I did. I, I don't know really why I'm here. I, I'm not really sure what I need right now, and I, I, I don't know really where I'm headed. Which is your hold up, or which is this the hardest say? Which of those questions is the hardest to say yes, will you believe to? Follow me. Think about it for a minute. Bow your heads, and I, I want you, you can say it out loud if you want, but you can do it quietly, is, is I want you to think about which one of these, and I want you just to acknowledge that. Just admit it. This is the one I'm struggling with right now the most. And tell that to the Lord. Who? Why? What? And where? Father, we are sinners in need of grace. We are people who have been given an identity 
and sometimes we reject it. We are a people who have been promised eternal life, but we still, get, we still wonder why we're here in certain places. God, we, we sometimes very foolishly, foolishly don't know what we need, and we try to replace it with other things. And God, we don't want fire insurance only. That's nice. But the kingdom has begun, and we want to be a part of it. We want to be active in it. Lord, as we stand in worship, let us do that sincerely. In Jesus' name, amen.